Good morning, everybody. My name is Josh. I serve on the leadership team here at the Springs. Um, how's everybody doing today? Good. Pretty good. All right. So I'm assuming that like at least two of you have a good day so far. You've had a good day so far. Well, um, welcome to the Springs. We exist to help people grow in being followers of Christ, family focused and fishers for men. Uh, if this is your first time here, super welcome. Or if it's your umpteenth time here, we're super glad you're here. No matter what, we're super glad you're here. Um, this week, we're on our second and final week of our New Year's series, Knowing God. And so far, what we have decided to do, what we want to do is to kind of take a, a view of God, to examine what the Bible has to say about God and how he relates to us, and then kind of examine how we relate to him. Kind of, kind of be a shocker to some people, but God relates to us as God. So that kind of doesn't change. That's a big statement. But what happens is we examine and understand who God is and how he relates to us. It changes how we relate to him. Last week, uh, Pastor Peter gave us a message talking about how understanding the truths of God displaces the sin in our lives. So when we digest those truths, it displaces the things in us that are working against God. Now, this week, we're going to piggyback off of that a little bit, and we're going to uh, talk about God's goodness, specifically God's goodness as it relates to the ebbs and flows of our life. Now, everybody in here, uh, no matter if you are a firm believer or if you were gagged and kidnapped and brought here, you know, against your will, and you're going to file charges right after this, no matter who you are across the spectrum, we've all experienced and known the ebbs and flows of life. We've all understood what it means to kind of experience the, what people would think is the height of the human experience, right? Like life and, and love and romance and, and kids and friendship and all the things that we consider to be the good life. Those same individuals, all of us in here, have all experienced also what is the downside of the human experience, what people would label as the downside of the human experience. Um, Hurt, pain, betrayal, heartache, death. Uh, We've all known those experiences. They're not new to anyone in here. The result of those experiences is the person uh, that we are today, the people we are today. Um, Some of us are full of hope. Some of us are full of love. Others are not as full of hope. Some of us might be full of some bitterness. Some of us have understood and experienced the effectual call of the Holy Spirit on our hearts. We know exactly what that felt like. We came into relationship with Christ from it. Others, during the course of our hardships, have said, where is God? Where is God's goodness? And pushed him away. On the other side, an unfortunate truth is that some of us have seen the blessings of God that are given out of his mercy. And then we've looked at them and said, this is God's goodness. We've valued creation over creator. What we want to do today is we want to examine from scripture what God's goodness is and what that means to us. Okay, Okay, so from what we're going to do today is we're going to start in Psalm 34. Okay, We're going to appeal to scripture here. We're going to go to scripture and we're going to look at what scripture has to say about God's goodness. If you would stand with me in honor of God's preserved word, the Bible, uh, we're going to read Psalm 34, one through eight of David when he changes behaviors before uh, Abimelech so that he drove him out when he went away. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. 
My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look at him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes his refuge in him. As you're being seated, if you would uh, pray with me, Father, we thank you so much. Uh, We thank you for your word. We thank you for your goodness. More than anything, Lord, we thank you for you. We thank you for for Christ. We thank you that you have seen fit to meet us uh, here. I ask you would open all of our hearts that your Holy Spirit, uh, Holy Spirit, you would be here and, and, and begin to, to open our hearts to hear what you would have to say. Empty myself, Lord, and let me speak only what you would have. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So Psalm 34, uh, the author of this Psalm, as we read, is David. And the purpose of the Psalm, from what we can tell, is David just proclaiming how good God is. Now, this is not out of character for David. If you know the Bible at all, you can pretty much identify that this is per the norm of David. Uh, What kind of builds the interest in Psalm 34 is when we dive into when and where this was uh, written. Now, David was actually in a pretty pretty tough time when when he wrote these words. For those of us that don't know David's story, I know a lot of us do, for those of us that don't, David is or was the anointed king of Israel. Saul was the current king of Israel when this was written. Now, being that Saul knew David was going to take over, and David's life was just marked by the favor of God. David began to kind of, you know, win and battles and win victories, and he eventually won over the hearts of the Israelite people. Now, when he won the hearts of the Israelite people, that filled Saul with a lot of jealousy, a lot of hate. Saul began to try to kill him. Saul began to try and kill him. So when Saul tries to kill him, David has to go on the run. He's displaced from his family, his friends, everything that he knew, everything that he loved. He's going to enemy towns to try to like hide from his hometown because someone's trying to kill him at home. So he's going to like enemy towns. And this is where we actually find David in, in this specific Psalm. David goes to an enemy town whose ruler's name is Achish or Bimelech. It's, it's probably both names. Um, and when he gets there, Achish servants look at David and they say, dude, aren't you David? Dude, you're totally David. We're finna kill you. Like, that's kind of how it generally goes. Um, Well, David, seeing that he's been spotted, understanding his circumstances, kind of gets to a place where he goes, man, I need to figure out what to do. (coughs) So David uh, begins to pray to the Lord and through the Spirit's guidance, through the Spirit's guidance, he he understands that he's going to kind of play crazy in front of Achish, in front of Abimelech. And, and he goes in front of him. Uh, they, Achish servants bring David to Achish, and, and, and David begins to play crazy. He opens his mouth. Saliva starts coming out. He's like kind of doing cross-eyed stuff. And Achish is literally like, man, this guy is evidently crazy. And he literally says, I have enough crazy people to deal with. So he kind of throws some shade to the people that brought him to him. You know, he's kind of, it was overall just a good situation for David. David is released from this life-threatening situation straight back into the other life-threatening situation of Saul pursuing his death. So when we look at David's life when this is written, between surviving the Achish situation and going back on the run from Saul trying to kill him, 
it's kind of weird that in this period of time, David decides to get out his notebook and, and his journal and write, dude, God is so good. God is so good. Like, not only God is so good to me, but I want you to taste and see how good God is. Why don't you try to experience God's goodness? And it's perplexing to me because when I look at it, I'm like, dude, I don't want to trade you spots. I'm not trying to trade you lives right now. I'm enjoying where I'm at. You're on the run. You don't know the comfort of a bed. You had to leave your wife and children behind. I get to go home every night and be like, what's up, bae? And and I'm in a good spot. I'm happy with that. So I don't necessarily want to trade David's spots. But what is it then that David's talking about? Because if I were to look at myself in David's position, the thing is I would handle it differently. I would view it differently. So what is David saying that I don't understand? And as we begin to break this down, I think where we would have to start is maybe looking at the word goodness, looking at what being good is. So we have to start at kind of maybe dissecting goodness a little bit, and, and then we're going to take a, a step forward. Now today, we're going to look at goodness in three specific ways. We're going to spend the majority of time on the last uh, view of goodness, but we're going to go through three of them, okay? Now, the first way we view goodness as it relates to Scripture, as it relates to God, is that goodness is first a property of God, okay? It's a property of God, Now, when we think of a property of God, what we're going to kind of compare this to is like a description, okay? God is good amongst other functions and amongst other descriptions of God. As a comparison, what, as an analogy, let's say milk. If I were to look at milk and say milk is white, who's going to argue with me? Save like chocolate or strawberry, like flavoring, not that. I'm saying if I get Borden's plain whole milk, I'm going to say milk is white. No one's going to refute me. Now, I could also say glue is white. I ain't going to drink glue, (laughs) but milk is white. So it's a description. Okay, that's it. Amongst other things that we would use to describe God. Now, the next way we're going to look at goodness is as a definition of God. As a definition of God. Now, going back to the milk example, if I were to look at milk, though, and say that milk is an opaque white fluid rich in fat and protein secreted by female mammals for the nourishment of their young... All of, <laughs> all of a sudden, I have a very descriptive definition of milk. In fact, this is so descriptive that if I called anything uh, milk that didn't fit this, then it's not milk. In fact, if I called and defined something else with these exact words and these exact aspects and then said, but it's not milk, I, it's not true because that in fact is milk. There's no escaping that it's milk. They're they're inseparable now. The definition of the item, they're inseparable. They're one and the same. It's the same thing with God and goodness. Andrew Wilson is a pastor and author in the UK, and he said it like this. In the same way, God is good by definition. Anywhere you find goodness, you will, by definition, have God and vice versa. You can't have God without goodness. And you can't have goodness without God. This is the teaching of the whole of Scripture. Okay, the whole of Scripture. Let's put a pin in that because I want to come back to the whole of Scripture. That's an idea that I want to come back to. I want us to consider that. But before we go there, 
we have to kind of look at something else. As the definition of goodness, God being the definition of goodness, he gets to define what's good. Okay, he gets to define what's good as the definition of goodness. That means if I think that I have goodness, I think I'm experiencing goodness and it doesn't fit into what God has prescribed as goodness, then it's not goodness. I'm not experiencing goodness if it doesn't fit into the exact prescription that God has given for goodness. Every single thing in our lives can pretty much be taken as an example for this. Sex, alcohol, um, relationships, whatever it is, we can kind of view when we take it out of the context that God has given to us as a prescription for good, it automatically becomes not good. Just like if I were to label anything else milk and it didn't fit this, it wouldn't be milk. If I label anything else good outside of what God has prescribed, it's not good. Now, Proverbs, in fact, just as a, as a highlight here, Proverbs says that there's a way that seems right to a man. Uh, and in the end, it leads to destruction. So the, the, the peril for us is to say that we have goodness that doesn't align with God's goodness because he defines it. Now, God is good is the whole of the teachings of Scripture. Let's go back to this idea here now. It's the whole of the teachings of Scripture. Um, this is why we appeal to Scripture. As a Christian, there is no greater authority in our lives to know God than this book. That is super important for us to know. There is no greater authority on earth to know God by than this book. So when we appeal to scripture, when we look at scripture and from the beginning to the end declares that God is good, it literally is how we are able to understand that God is good. In Genesis 1, when God creates the heavens and all of a sudden he says, no, what I created, it's good. It's very good. In Psalm 107, give thanks to the Lord for he is good and his love endures forever. Psalm 119, you are good and what you do is good. 2 Timothy 4, for everything God created is good. Mark 10, no one is good except God. Romans 8, all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So when we go from the beginning of the book right up to the end of the book, there's one specific teaching that the whole thing can, con- that can continuously communicate, and that is God is good. He's not just good by principle or by, by, by um, property. He's good by definition. Okay, now... This is where it gets a little bit trickier because the third view we're going to take isn't just one where we think about it here, but where we experience it here. Because the third look at goodness and what David was trying to get at was that it it is an experience of God. It's not just a property of God and it's not just a definition of God, not just something I write down or something I think about, but it's something I actually feel and experience in my day-to-day life. Now, the struggle with that is how? When I look at my life and I begin to see the afflictions of my life, I begin to see the hard portions of my life. When David looks at his life and he's like, dude, I escaped one guy that's trying to kill me. Now I'm going to go to the next guy that's trying to kill me. How is he saying, dude, taste and see that God is good? That specific uh, phrase taste and see was one used in Israel that literally offered and invited someone to experience something with you. It was often referred to with food, like okay, man, it'd be like if I was like, hey, Five Guys Burgers is, is uh, 
is better than that other one down the street. Uh, then all of a sudden it'd be like, oh, really? Well, taste and see. I'm inviting you to see for yourself that Five Guys is great. I don't promote Five Guys. It just was that one's right there. So sorry. Uh, it's quality, though. It's a quality burger. Um, well, in that same way, saying that God is good and then saying taste and see is an invitation to experience God's goodness for yourself. But how in the midst of frustration, how in the midst of affliction, how in the midst of trial, where do we see God's goodness in that? And I think that that begins to point us toward affliction. What is affliction? And, and a lot of times what we do is we see God's goodness when things are going good. We see God's goodness when things are going well. It's not hard to see it. But then the thing is, when, when we start to associate God's goodness with these blessings that he gives us out of his mercy, and then when the blessings and we feel that, that everything's not going well, all of a sudden our mind automatically goes to this is the absence of God's goodness. That's where our mind automatically goes. In fact, God's goodness is the, the silver lining to our suffering. Once God delivers me from my situation, then I'll be experiencing his goodness. That's usually where our mind goes to in the midst of our affliction. So when we look at David's life, my natural eye says, dude, you're telling me to experience a goodness that I don't think you're going through, that I don't think you're experiencing. But David is absolutely, he's solid on the fact that he's experiencing God's goodness. Now, what we neglect to see, what we overlook when we look at our afflictions in this way, where our afflictions must be the absence of God's goodness, um, is, is the fact that God is sovereign over everything, and that includes our lives. That includes our lives. Um, to, to appeal to someone that's far better uh, and more educated than me, uh, in his book, Chosen by God, Dr. R.C. Sproul, he's a theologian and a pastor, um, speaking on God's sovereignty, says it like this. Uh, when we speak of divine sovereignty, we are speaking of, about God's authority and about God's power. As sovereign, God is the supreme authority of heaven and earth. All other authority is lesser authority. Any other authority that exists in the universe is derived from and dependent upon God's authority. What this means is that God is in control, guys, of everything. Everything. He goes on in that same chapter to say that God, in some sense, foreordains whatever comes to pass is a necessary result of his sovereignty. It only declares that God is absolutely sovereign over his creation. It's you and I. God can foreordain things in different ways, but everything that happens must at least happen by his permission. If he permits something, then he must decide to allow it. If he decides to allow it, then he, in a sense, foreordains it. That means everything we've gone through, whether it's here, whether it's here, has been examined, ordained, foreordained, and permitted by God. Now, I know that provokes a, a spectrum of responses in our heart. Someone's like, you don't know what I've gone through, Josh. Like, you, you don't know my story. You're right, I don't. Um, but that can't change the fact that I know God is in control of everything. Now, for some of us, this is scary because it means that we're not in control of something. It means that we're not the captain of our own ship. And if there's one thing we hinge our life on, it's that I'm the captain of my own ship and I know where I'm going and no one and nothing can stop me. 
And then when I throw something, this guy at church throws something like this out, it's like, no, now you're telling me that I'm not in control. And now I'll be honest, I'm a little scared of that. That doesn't, that doesn't sound right to me. I don't, I don't like that. I'm a little scared of not being in control. And, and let me address your fears. Um, you're not in control. I'm, I'm not in control. We're not in control. If a bus were to plow into the side of the building right now, there'd be one thing that I knew, which is that I'm not in control. Um, natural disasters happen. I, I get sick and there's nothing I can do about it. There's one thing I know in that moment is that I'm not in control. Now, we can land at this fear section. I want to come back to this as well, but, but others of us kind of feel like, Josh, you know, I, I go through things and, and where is God's goodness when I, if he's in control and I go through these hardships, how can I trust him? Because this isn't what I would define as good. I wouldn't define this as good, so how can I trust him if he says he's good and I'm going through these things? Okay. But when we look back and, and we work from the place of understanding that God is as a description and as a property good, and he's not just that, but he is by definition good. That means wherever God is, there is goodness. And then we kind of nail that in. We narrow that in a little bit more. We understand that that good God is in complete control of everything. Then there's no more reason to fear because you may not be in control, but the one who is, is good. You may be a little bit fearful because you wouldn't define this as good and what your experiences are, but there's no need to lack trust. There's no need to fear because you may not view it as good, but you can trust that the one who's in control is good. And he's defined it as good. Now, I know that that's, that's difficult, right? It's difficult to look in the, in, the, in the face of adversity and be like, God's good. In fact, because God's good and he's ordained you, you might be a little good. I want to go to, to Romans 5, uh, and I want us to read something real fast. This is Paul writing he says, more than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame. And so often that's where people stop in this verse. Like hope is the great savior and it's not. And hope will not put us, does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Paul was able to look into the face of his affliction and say, I can rejoice in you because when I narrow all this down, what I know is that I, 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 I'm loved by God. I'm able to cling to something that's far greater than my actual experiences here, far deeper. I, I, I'm, I know through the gospel that I'm loved by, by God. He didn't just have to look at his experiences and say, man, I have to trust that God. No, he sat there and he said, man, these are my experiences. Now I look back to the cross of Christ and I look to the gospel of Jesus and I say, I know for a fact that God loves me. I know for a fact that God loves me. Because he paid the price for the most precious thing in the world. He paid the price for me to have the most precious thing in the world, him. That in any situation I was going through, I wouldn't buttress myself up with my experiences, but I would buttress myself up with him. 
Let me, uh, to be candid with you, beloved, you are loved by God, but God didn't die for us because he needed you. That's, if, if that's what you were thinking, then you've misunderstood your grave need for Christ. Christ died on the cross and reconciled us because he understood that in the midst of your affliction, in the midst of my affliction, the thing I'm going to need the most isn't deliverance out of my affliction. It's going to be nestled right in there, comforted by the embracing, loving arms of my God and my Savior. That's what I need, no matter where I am. Now, Paul understood that God's goodness was not experiencing God delivering him from something, but it was actually being able to tangibly know and love Christ, to experience his love and to offer, his, to offer Paul's own love back to, to God. He knew that that was the purpose he was created for. That was what brought him the most joy, the most fulfillment. As he, Paul in Philippians wrote, uh, the things I once counted as value, I now count them as rubbish compared to the growing worth of knowing Jesus Christ. So whether he was in the lowest portion of his time, he said, I'm clinging to Christ. When he was in the highest portion of his time, he said, I'm clinging to Christ. Now, for us, I know that you're like, that's Paul. He's not, a, he's not superhuman, just so you know, but I know that some of us still view our Bible characters as like these superheroes, and, and they're not. They're not. They're, they were men who were inspired to write something, but... Paul's experiences are the same as, as my experiences as, as a man and as a human. Um, and in my own life, uh, a lot of you guys know this story. Um, uh, my stepfather, three years ago in December, my mom knows, obviously she knows this, um, he was diagnosed with, with cancer uh, three years ago this past December. And in the midst of that cancer, he uh, started going to treatment, and treatment kind of had an ebb and flow to it as well. Like it would get better, then it would kind of not get as good, and, it would, uh, and then it would get better, and then it would kind of be a little scary. So chemo was kind of like a hard thing. It was super hard on my mom, super hard on, on my stepdad as well. And, uh, it would be fair for me to say that, that most of us, probably all of us, begin to hinge God's goodness on whether my stepfather was going to beat cancer or not. Right? So we begin to hinge, is God good on, is my stepfather going to live or is he not going to live? That's what we begin to hinge God's goodness on. Now, I would love to sit here with you right now uh, and stand up here and be like, yeah, man, my my stepfather's here today, but uh, nine months after his diagnosis, my, my stepfather passed away from cancer. That's the reality of what happened in our lives. But as we're able to look backwards, we're able to see that something in those nine months began to change in Raymond, began to change in him internally. It wasn't that his body was failing. It wasn't that he was getting skinny. It was something deeper than that. Cancer struck his body, and a man that had neglected his Savior, that neglected his Creator, for 50 plus years, begin to cry out to God for help. That happened. And it started as God crying out to help to heal his body. There's nothing wrong with that. That should happen. But God began to answer him in a way that Raymond didn't know he needed to be answered. Over that course of time, my father uh, 
invited us to, to his church. We all went as a group and I saw my stepdad walk up to the front and be prayed for. He started crying for the first time. He began to feel a connection with his creator and began to develop a relationship with his God that I had never seen him experience and I'm sure he hadn't experienced before. God began to answer his prayer, not by saying, I'm going to save your body, but by saying, I'm going to give you everything you've ever needed in myself with you. A few months later, I sat next to my stepdad in the hospital bed and I I asked him, hey, do, do you acknowledge that you have sinned against God? He said, yes. And I said, and do you love Jesus? Yes. Do you believe that he redeemed you with his work on the cross and has called you back to himself? And he said, yes. What happened in my stepdad's life when, when we're able to look backwards was that his life in that moment, whether he passed away from cancer or he didn't, was no longer marked by cancer. It was marked by the love of God poured into his heart by the Holy Spirit. His definition was not going to be Raymond or cancer or husband or stepfather. His definition was going to be son of the living God. He was going to be defined by the love that he experienced from his father. You're a good, good father. It's who you are, and I'm loved by you. It's who I am. That is what defines me. Now, I personally wish I had seen that while it was happening. (laughs) That would have made life a lot easier. It would have caused a a, a joy to spring about and to rejoice in God, even in the midst of hard times. Um, But I was growing in knowing God. And in 2017, our hope is that that would be our passion and our purpose. That as we go in the next 12 months, we would have a passion and a desire to know God, to know him deeper, to know him in prayer. And and there are practical ways we do this, right? We we seek God in prayer, right? We, We actually take the time to, guys, forgive me if this sounds crazy, but to actually like take a knee and talk out loud by yourself, but with God. I know this sounds absurd to some of us, but guys, we, there's practical steps where we get to know God by, by seeking him in, in prayer, by reading our word, by entering into fellowship with his church and with his children here together. We begin to experience his goodness as we're Uh, encouraged, fortified by our family, by our brothers, our sisters here together. Uh, My wife and I uh, on New Year's started a Bible reading plan. I needed to start with somebody because like I fell like a hundred days behind last year. And so I was like, wife, I I need you to just be like, hey, you know, read. And so uh, (laughs) I, I needed that. So she encouraged me by today. She was like, hey, have you read? And I was like, no. He's like, read. So that, that's important for me to have that accountability, to read our word, to, to seek to know him through reading about him and who he's described himself to be in this word. Um, seeking to know him. I, I'm hoping and I'm praying. I know that's all of our hopes and prayers as, uh, as a staff and as, as uh, leadership here. That we would have a passion to know God 
deeply and intimately in 2017. And how we're going to start that is through our, our fast that's coming up on uh, tomorrow, on Monday. Um, a lot of us are going to pray and fast for various things. Uh, and you should. You should pray and fast for those things, unless they're not the goodness of God like we talked about earlier. But if they are, then, then you should definitely pray and fast for those things. Um, but my hope in prayer today is that a part of our desire in our prayer and our fasting this week would be to know God deeper, not just for as it benefits us, but just to know him for him. Because knowing him for him is what benefits us. That's right. I don't seek God for my benefit. I seek God for him and knowing him is my benefit. That's what Paul understood, that God's goodness is not his blessings, but it's actually his relationship with me. So during our time of prayer and fasting, we're going to pray and fast for a, very, a lot of different things. I'm hoping and I'm praying that we would all have a conviction to pray and fast, to know God deeper. Um, now, for some of us, uh, I want to kind of, as I'm starting to wrap up, I know that for some of us, a lot of what I said today might have sounded a little foreign, um, might have sounded a little afar. Um, maybe because we haven't experienced a lot of affliction or maybe, maybe because just generally we don't know him. And so the thought of knowing him deeper is, is hard to comprehend because we don't know him at all. And some of us in here have maybe tried to make sense of our lives apart from God's love. Like in here, what we did is we kind of just constructed the afflictions of life and then we said, now let's look at them through uh, the lens of, of God's goodness and his love. And some of us have tried to do that without that lens. We've tried to make sense of life without viewing it with the lens of the goodness of God. And I know it's been hard because I've been there. I know that feeling. And right now, some of us are um, kind of the Holy Spirit's moving on our hearts and say, hey, come to me and let me help you make sense of this life because it's the only way by which it makes sense is when viewing it from the lens of knowing me and loving me. Some of us are experiencing that today and others, we know God, we love God, but we understand that if we hit uh, a place where afflictions were like triumphing in our lives, we would not be like taste and see that the Lord is good. There's some of us that know that when we read it, we were like, uh, I don't know about all that. Uh, now, for some of us, the Holy Spirit is moving on our hearts to not just know him, but to know him deeper. Uh, in this place, I'm hoping and praying the Holy Spirit's doing that, something for, for everybody, right? I'm hoping that the Holy Spirit is moving on someone's heart and each one of our hearts to either know him deeper or to know him initially. And it's not going to be the end of our search. We're going to spend a lifetime knowing him and learning more things of him. We're going to learn the intimacies of knowing Christ in the hardest moments and in the, the brightest moments. But uh, today, uh, God's call on our hearts, I believe and I hope, is to know him, to begin a relationship with him or to know him deeper. And as we pray to close today, that's going to be uh, our prayer, to know his goodness by understanding that we, we know him. Uh, that's, that's the benefit, the payoff of, of, our, of our relationship with Christ. There are a lot of others. Uh, but that's the root one. It helps us make sense of everything else in our life. So if you bow your head and pray with me, Father, we thank you. We love you. Um, 
We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for your son, God. We, uh, we pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes evermore and increasingly to the goodness of your love, the goodness of your embrace, the goodness of your gospel. That even in the eyes of affliction and even in the eyes of hurt, of pain, of the lowest parts of our life, that we would turn to you, that our hearts would be filled with hope, not for the sake of hope, but because our hope is grounded in something so much better, so much more transcendent, in a love that's greater than every other love, in a peace that's greater than every other peace. We uh, offer ourselves to you, Lord. And for those of us that do not know you, I I pray that they would open their hearts to know you. Um, They would begin to inquire um, into a relationship with you. We love you. We thank you. We pray these things in your holy and beautiful name, the name of Jesus. Amen.